Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the podcast. Super excited you're joining me today. My name is Audrey Rindlisbacher. I'm the founder of the Mission Driven Mom and author of The Mission Driven Life. We would love to expand this podcast and have it shared with more moms who want principle-centered and mission-driven homes. And you can help us with that. You can make sure and subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes. You can share the podcast with your friends, write a review on your podcast app, And you can also join us in the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group for the after the show discussion. And uh, that would be awesome to get to know you in that group. Since we talked about principles of addiction recovery last week, I thought it would be appropriate to follow that up and talk about forgiveness this week. Sometimes get questions when I used to go speak with my husband to groups of couples on marriage and especially on addiction, I would get that question often. Well, how did you forgive? How did you manage your end of things? And you know, it took a lot of practice and time and study. And I mentioned in the Principles of Addiction Recovery podcast that I had learned some things about forgiveness. I mentioned um, one little item. And what I'm going to share with you today is taken at least partially from one of the 35-ish lectures in level one of the MDM Academy. There's some information on forgiveness in one of those lectures. And I wanna start with a book that I absolutely adore. At one point, I did a search of books on forgiveness. There's not necessarily a lot. There's a lot on like, uh, you know, what do you do when your spouse has an affair and things like that. But just on the concept of forgiveness, there's not necessarily a lot out there. And I think that uh, the author of this book can really shed some light on why that's the case. This is called Forgiveness is a Choice, and the author is Robert D. Enright, PhD. And he tells his story here at the beginning of the book. And I want you to read what he, I want you to hear what he has to say because it's really fascinating. I came to study write about and speak about forgiveness because I grew enormously dissatisfied with my own area of research, moral development. Those in university settings asking the questions about morals were not exciting the general public as far as I could see, and they were not asking the kinds of questions that might change people's lives. I thought about forgiveness as one aspect of moral development just might change people's lives for the good. My many years exploring how people forgive and the results obtained after people forgave have not disappointed me. In fact, I am more impressed today with the power of forgiveness than when I first began. It is a bit ironic that since beginning the scientific study of forgiveness, I have had to practice the art of forgiveness far more than before. Many of my colleagues in the social sciences, quite frankly, thought that I had lost my mind studying such a, quote, soft or inappropriate topic as forgiveness. Leave the examination of forgiveness to the clergy, I was told. You'll never get a job working in academia if you stick with that in right. My graduate students were counseled. This topic has nothing to do with social science, I heard whispered more than once. I've battled through misunderstanding, indifference, and anger from others as I've tried to bring some perspective and depth to the questions. What is forgiveness? How do people go about forgiving? What happens when people forgive? 
Yes, those who've criticized me and what I study at times have made me angry. Encountering a growing anger led me to the need to forgive. I also know that ex- that I also know from experience that forgiving is not for wimps, but is instead hard work. Yet as you stick with it, forgiveness offers untold rewards. And then he goes on to talk about this book. Forgiveness is a Choice is a self-help book for people who are caught in a vortex of anger, resentment, and seemingly endless destructive patterns and who are looking for a way out. In fact, one of the things he says very early in the book is that the very first thing you have to do if you're going to forgive is be honest about your anger. That there's always anger involved. And of course, we talked in in the addiction podcast about that being uh, fed by the resentments that we hang on to. And he mentions resentment specifically here also. He says, in 1985, the Human Development Study Group at the University of Wisconsin-Madsen began an intensive investigation into forgiveness. I was part of that group, and this book is a product of our investigation. Our work was fruitful, so fruitful, that in 1994, we expanded our group and founded the International Forgiveness Institute, a nonprofit organization that helps people understand forgiveness so they can make their own decisions about the topic. And I do think, and I mentioned this a little bit in the podcast on addiction as well, I do think that forgiveness is something that we assume we understand, although when faced with it head on, we often come up short. Even people of very vibrant uh, religious experiences, spiritual people will often draw a blank when it comes to discussing forgiveness and how they can go about it and what's involved and what it is. And I just think that it's a fundamental part of a healthy emotional and spiritual and mental life. And it is worth understanding. It's very important to understand. It is critical for us as mothers to breed a a home life of transparency and forgiveness so that our we can be emotionally healthy and so can our children and it's just like it's <laughs> just like these you know other professors with brother uh with uh sorry with Robert Enright that they just kind of talked about how unimportant it was you know they just kind of poo-pooed it they just said that's not really what's pertinent. That's not what's critical. That's not what people really need to know about. And the more he studied it, the more he's helped people and written about it and spoke on it, the more he has come to see that it's absolutely fundamental. And this is what I was talking about when I was talking about addiction being a spiritual sickness and these basic fundamental quote religious or quote spiritual or quote moral (laughs) concepts as they're actually the way to the healthiest, happiest life. And it's really important that we don't look past the mark and we don't get caught up in, you know, quote, deeper doctrines or, or more, um, quote, important topics when we don't understand the basics, when we don't really know what faith is and we don't really know what it means to forgive or to repent or to be a creator, as we talk about in the academy, how do we expect to build the kinds of happy principle-centered homes we want to have? So I just want to emphasize as we get into this topic how critically important it is that we get serious about understanding it better. I'm going to give you five tools that I have discovered have been very helpful to me in forgiving, but I want to give this uh, book to you also as a resource. Even if you don't feel like you have really deep resentments and deep anger that you need to work through, 
I think it's valuable to know the steps that Dr. Enright teaches in this book because they really open your mind to what could that process look like if someone was working on forgiveness and what are the tools that he's discovered that are helpful to people who want to forgive and what can I glean from from that for myself and for my family there's some surprises in there and and he takes it very softly he's very loving he's very careful in his approach uh, I also found this fascinating he said our research group has conducted scientific tests using forgiveness as a form of therapy and education we have researched the world's greatest religious traditions read works of philosophy and held discussions with therapists and counselors our work is by no means completed, but after 15 years of research, I feel that we have found sufficient evidence of the power of forgiveness so that I can offer our knowledge to those who want to be free from the bondage of anger and resentment. And of course, as we know, that resentment is fueling addiction, and so we really want to step outside of it and learn about how to overcome it. And I love that he talks about reading the classics and getting the kind of education that is part of Law 4 in um, the seven laws of life mission that is definitely what they did and they got a broad range of information from all the greatest sources in order to really hone in on the truths about forgiveness so this is one study that they did and i want to mention it to you because it really shows the power of forgiveness to transform people's lives and the effectiveness of the approach that he puts forward in this book now after I tell you about this study that he did, I'm going to share some information gleaned from many sources about what forgiveness is and then some tools that I found that have helped me. But again, I'm not going to go over a lot of the uh, rest of the stuff that's in his book. I would recommend that you grab it for yourself and spend some time in it. He says, Suzanne Friedman and I studied 12 women ages 24 to 54 who were incest survivors. Three were married, four were divorced, and five were single. Four of them had full-time careers, one worked part-time, two were full-time college students, and the rest combined schooling and a career. All 12 were anxious, depressed, and suffering from low self-esteem when they entered our program, and none had forgiven their perpetrator. Dr. Friedman randomly assigned six of the women to a group where for over one year they worked on forgiving the perpetrator and she assigned the other six to a group that received no instruction on forgiveness. The forgiveness group was led by an educate, educator trained in the forgiveness process. Each, each participant received a manual that described the process involved in forgiving and met individually and weekly with the educator. I doesn't even call them a therapist, they're an educator. All 12 participants were given a battery of psychological tests before and after the program. Those in the forgiveness group improved significantly. Before therapy, they had been, on average, moderately psychologically depressed. After forgiveness therapy, they were, on average, not depressed at all. Their anxiety decreased and their sense of hopefulness toward their own futures increased. All six were able to forgive their perpetrator. One visited her father's grave for the first time. Another visited her father in the hospital and helped with his care. When he died, she grieved and was convinced that she would have been devastated if he had died before she had been able to forgive him. During the first year, the control group showed no measurable psychological improvement. 
To further test the benefits of forgiveness, we introduced the group to the forgiveness process. Now I'll say that again. They had them in a control group where they received therapy every week for an entire year and their psychological um, situation didn't change at all. Whereas the other group that had worked on forgiveness had gone from being depressed to not being depressed. So they put these women through the same forgiveness instruction. They also showed evidence of major improvements in psychological health. When we reassessed the original forgiveness group one year after they stopped the program, they had retained good psychological health. All 12 women showed substantial psychological improvements. No other treatment program for incest survivors has, to our knowledge, produced such positive results. He goes on to talk about doing the same experiment with men and showing that all of them could also forgive their perpetrator and then trying that same thing with um, doing other types of groups and other types of studies until finally they put this book out, Forgiveness is a Choice, to teach what they had learned about forgiveness to the general public. So it really um, is a book that I just think is so critical. The whole topic is, is so important. So I want to just touch on what forgiveness is. Now, this is drawn from many sources and from personal experience, including this book, but I'm going to give you a list of seven. And again, this information, the quotes, the lists, um, the tools will be in the show notes again at the missiondrivenmom.com. But I'm just going to go through this information for you so that you have it and you can ponder over it. And then of course, join the Facebook group so we can talk about it there after the show. Forgiveness is an entirely internal experience. It says you have a right to your anger, but you choose to voluntarily give up that right. It means you acknowledge that you have a right to be mad about something, that you're angry, but you're going to give it up. The third, uh, third point, it is about your emotions and no one else's. Four, it is about your behavior and no one else's. Remember, we touched on this in the addiction podcast that resentment is an entirely internal experience. You're not affecting anybody else with your resentment. You're only affecting yourself. You're cankering your own emotions and your own um, emotional well-being. Five, it clears your vision of yourself and the other person. Six, it is in no way connected to any external consequences to you, the perpetrator, or your relationship. And seven, it is not trust. Dr. Enright said, you will learn that the first person that forgiveness changes is the person doing the forgiving. And when you do that, here's some results that you can expect. You can expect that you will better be able to execute healthy boundaries and that you will be able to deal with the persecutor in healthy ways. Because what happens when we are full of resentment and anger is that that clouds our perspective of ourselves we tend to kind of glorify ourselves or not see ourselves or demonize ourselves, not see ourselves clearly and not see the other person clearly. And so we can't really deal with the relationship in a healthy way. The third point that you'll be able to discern between healthy and unhealthy relationships, it's hard to know which of your relationships really are the right ones to nurture and hang on to when you're so full of anger and resentment, you're not seeing anybody clearly. Fourth, you'll be able to discern the appropriate level of involvement and trust that you should have in the relationship. Should you keep the relationship? Should you put boundaries in place? All of those things. Five, you'll be able to deal with the other, with other relationships in healthier and happier ways. And six, 
you'll be able to move on with your life and form happier, healthier relationships in the future. So you need psychological, emotional clarity that can, you can only gain by forgiving and getting rid of your anger. And then you'll have the clarity and the confidence to make all your relationships healthier. The first tool that I want to mention to you, there's five things that I try to keep in mind in terms of forgiving tools that have really helped me. They're drawn from the Bible actually, and I'm going to read you uh, the reference and then tell you why that's so helpful to me and how I think it can be helpful to you. The first one is um, in Matthew 6, 12 and 15 through 16. It's in Jesus's prayer. When he's saying the prayer, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he says a handful of other things in that prayer. But then when he's done with the prayer, he returns to this specific concept in verses 15 and 16 to expand upon them and make them more clear. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So this is very simple. I think I mentioned it um, in that other podcast that we have to forgive in order to be forgiven. It's a conditional promise that God makes us that if we're willing to stop playing God and stop pretending like we know best for everybody and that we know what they're responsible for and what they're knowledgeable about and what they should, you know, all of those things that we can definitely make judgments that certain behaviors were wrong, but we can't condemn them morally because we don't have enough information to do that. And so it's good for me to remind myself that, um, I want to be forgiven. I want to feel the freedom that comes from having my bad behaviors removed from my soul. And it's a great hypocrisy for me to tell God that I need to be forgiven and he shouldn't forgive somebody else because I know that they don't deserve forgiveness because I'm not willing to forgive them. I think it's interesting when people say, well, God can forgive them, but I can't, or God will, but I won't you're not helping anybody else. (laughs) You're not going to help them by forgiving them. You're not going to extend trust. You're not going to be boundaryless. You don't even need to have a relationship with them in order to forgive them, but you do have to forgive them. The second um, tool that I would give you is in Luke 23, 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is what Alcoholics Anonymous says. We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, This is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. And, you know, I I often think about, for example, these incest survivors from um, Enright's book. I think about Immaculate from Left to Tell. 
forgiving those that killed her entire family. I, I think of Cindy Bell, who forgave her husband of his multiple affairs. And, and usually, in comparison, uh, what I need to forgive is very minor. <laughs> so it really helps kind of put it in perspective. And I do really believe that the greater the the greater the behavior that you need to forgive the more spiritually sick that individual was who perpetrated on on you and on your life they had to be they had to be very spiritually sick to engage in those behaviors and so the addict says thy will be done i can't change it i have to let go of it and i can see them as a sick person who needs spiritual healing and that i may be able to help in some way the third one comes from John 8, 7. So when they continued asking him, Jesus, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Now this relates a little bit to the last two tools, but it's a little bit different. What I've come to see is that no one else's bad behavior is an excuse for my bad behavior. If I know, which I do, that I've not only been commanded to forgive, but that all the evidence shows, scientific, spiritual, philosophical, whatever the research is, it all points in the direction of to be healthy emotionally and spiritually, I must forgive. Then I can't let someone else's bad behavior be an excuse for my unwillingness to extend that forgiveness. Or worse, my own bad behavior in other ways and turning around and being a perpetrator on them um, by treating them poorly, by gossiping about them, by demonizing them, by uh, whatever it is I might do that would be my own bad behavior that I'm responsible for. It's no excuse. I have to be accountable. I have to show emotional maturity. And this is especially true of mothers who set the example by their responses to bad situations, be them small or large. When something happens, when you are hurt or one of your children is hurt, your response is paramount. Your children are watching, okay, what do we do when someone hurts us? What's the appropriate response? And when we behave badly because somebody else has behaved badly, and then we turn around and make an excuse for why that was okay for us to do, we're teaching our children not to be creators, but to be victims. We're teaching them to, um, to blame and we're teaching them not to take responsibility for their own emotions and their own behavior. So I, that's something that I remind myself of uh, often their bad behavior is not an excuse for my bad behavior. So I got to try to get myself together and figure out what is the appropriate mature response that I want reflected by my children and the people around me. And you know, how would I want them to treat me if, if I had done something wrong to them? And that's what we're aiming for. The fourth tool is from Matthew 24, 10. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. It's important to remember that being offended is a choice. We're told that charity, when we're charitable, we really can't be offended. I don't remember Jesus being offended. I don't remember the great prophets being offended. Um, if they were, it's something they had to fix and realize and 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 repent of and and make amends with because 
we can choose whether or not we're going to be offended. When you get off the resentment train, you won't choose to be offended anymore. It keeps you spiritually safe because when you choose to be offended, then you start betraying, you start hating, you start gossiping and playing the victim and creating drama. And remember that gossip is betrayal. When we treat people badly, then we, it deadens our feelings toward them. That's why it's so important to love, to take actions of love, because it actually nurtures our positive feelings toward that person. When we take negative actions toward that person, where whether we're harboring negative thoughts about them all the time, or we're actually going out and gossiping about them, or we're withholding, you know, we don't meet their needs appropriately, or we don't, we're not willing to spend time or whatever the case might be. It usually starts with choosing to take offense. And that is a choice that we can opt out of. And this is, this is again, many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate each other. You see the progression there, you're offended. And so you betray and so, and then you hate. So it's this process that we can opt out of if we will choose not to take offense. That's the, that's the step we have to take and we can, we can do that. The fifth tool comes from Matthew 19, 20 through 22. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, this is also helpful to me because what's happening to this rich young man is something that we touched on in the addiction podcast, and that is that he, rather than seeing and embracing the truth, and courageously striving to be willing and obedient, he sinks into self-pity. He went away sorrowful, feeling bad (laughs) for himself that he was such a good guy. And he went to Jesus and asked him what he should do to be a better person. And Jesus gave him a really hard answer specifically for him to help him progress spiritually. And just think, you know, of all of the things he missed out on. Think of the relationships he could have built and the growth that he could have had and the leadership opportunities that were his and the opportunity to influence. But he never experienced those blessings. Perhaps he changed his mind. Perhaps he engaged um, in that. And maybe he did end up selling everything. We don't know. But what we do know is that he felt sorry for himself. And so sometimes when we think of our perpetrators, we think of them as aggressors. We think of them as, you know, they're so hateful and they're so mean. But sometimes, really, it's their own self-pity. It's their own selfishness. It's their own depression. It's their own self-deprecating behaviors that are actually causing them to cause us pain. And... If we can remember that and we can remember to stay out of those triggers ourselves, then we won't sink into those triggers and get into our own self-pity, get into our own selfishness, get into our own depression. I think it's very telling that these 
the incest survivors were angry and rightfully so. Of course they have a right to be angry. And of course they're depressed. But you know what? They didn't want to be depressed. They didn't want to be angry, but they didn't know what else to do. And Dr. Enright was able to show them a higher way, a better way of letting go of the anger and working through the process. And it took them a year, but it changed their lives forever. And they're able to function on a normal level with higher self-confidence because they engaged in the forgiveness process. Now, of course, I've mentioned my own battles with forgiveness in relationship to, with my husband, but of course there's other people that I felt like I had to forgive and plenty of people that have had to forgive me. And this is something we all, it's a gift we can all give or it's a gift we can all withhold. And it is a core fundamental building block of any relationship. Even if you can't have contact with someone because they're toxic or dangerous, you can still have a good relationship with them in that you feel feelings of love and goodwill when you think of them and you can do good for them without more anger or resentment. I, I want to end by telling quickly the story of a woman who asked me to mentor her at one point. And I don't do that often. And we met several times and I wasn't really sure how to help her. She just felt unhappy and fulfilled, especially in her marriage. And just wasn't sure how to kind of get out of that funk. And after a lot of prayer and pondering, and especially I think because I was in the midst of all this um, addiction recovery stuff at the time and it was really fresh on my mind, I had this idea. It was prayerfully inspired idea. God had this idea <laughs> that uh, she should write down all the things that she resented about her husband. I mean, that's an activity that you do in the steps. And I thought maybe that will help her to just see it on paper. So she took my advice and she got out a piece of paper and she started filling this paper with all the things she resented about her husband. And the more she wrote, the more angry she felt and the more resentful she felt. And she made her way all the way down the page. And then she told me that as she approached the bottom of the page, the immensity of what she had been feeling and experiencing really kind of descended on her. And as she looked at that list so full of anger and resentment, she thought to herself, the thought just came, I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be full of bitter, angry, resentful feelings. And when she thought that, she suddenly felt different. The resentments melted away. She chose to let go of her anger and choose her husband choose to begin seeing the good in him. And she said that for the first time in a long time, I genuinely wanted to see and hold my husband. We went on a date that week and had the best time together we've had in a very long time. This can work in simple or complex circumstances. It can work with the smallest injury or the greatest, um, the, the greatest, most heart-wrenching experience. And I have felt the liberating power of forgiveness. My challenge to you is to spend more time learning about it, to go check out the show notes and look at what those things that truly define forgiveness so that you don't get caught up in that lie that if you forgive someone, you're going to be enabling them and you're going to be 
letting them get away with something they shouldn't get away with. You are just taking care of you. You're meeting a real need that you have to just be free emotionally and spiritually of, of all of this anger and resentment and put yourself in a much better place. Immaculate Illabagiza from Left to Tell said, forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing you were the prisoner. So thank you so much for joining me in this podcast on forgiveness. Please go ahead and share it out and, and join the mastermind group for the after the show discussion. And we will see you next time.